Hey, grab your Bibles. There's a Bible in the seat rack in front of you if you didn't bring your Bible or you can use your phone as well and turn to the great book of Romans in the New Testament. Invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to look just simply at one verse. Romans 15 verse 4. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you go to First or Second Corinthians, you've gone a little bit too far in the New Testament. Romans 15, verse 4. And I'll place it on the screen as well, but I'd love for you to look at it hard copy or on your screen. And it says this. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. I'm in Romans 15, 4. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, what does it say? Hope. What Paul is describing here in Romans chapter 15 is we study the scriptures, the scriptures of ancient times are given to you so that you could persevere in your faith. You won't give up. And they're given to you for your encouragement and for your hope. We're in the sixth week of a study on the Chronicles of the Kings as we dig into the Old Testament stories of these leaders of the divided kingdom. Israel in the Old Testament, the period that we're looking at, it was a really sad time for the nation. It was split. There was a northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. And we're kind of bouncing back and forth, looking at the account of different leaders of both kingdoms. And there may be even a thought in your mind that says, why are we spending so many Sundays looking at ancient leaders? Here we are in 2017. My life goes fast. Why are we studying in depth these guys from thousands of years ago? My argument of why we should do this comes from Romans chapter 15. We look at these type of stories so that We could persevere in our faith, we could be encouraged, and we could have hope. Does anybody need hope this morning? Yes. We need hope in our jobs, whether we need hope that we'll get more work and get paid more, or maybe we just need hope because we have too much work and we're feeling overwhelmed and stressed. We need hope in our relationships. Relationships are difficult, huh? And we need hope to persevere, not to give up when we run into walls with people. We need hope in our relationship day-to-day with God. Sometimes God feels really far away, doesn't he? Even though he's not, the scriptures tell us he's right here with us. There's times when I know I feel like God is distant. And I need hope in my relationship with him. That he is not far away, but he is next to me. We need hope in a superficial and shallow world. I don't need to really give you a lot of proofs that this is a superficial and and shallow culture and world that we live in. But just in case you did need some example of that here in 2017 we live in a shallow world, let me give you a couple examples. One is that recently there was a survey of middle school girls. Is there any middle school girls here? All right, they're spread throughout the campus serving. (laughs) 
Although if you're a middle school girl, you would never identify yourself when somebody asked from the front. I understand that. But there was a survey of middle school girls and they were asked, would you rather be a personal assistant to a celebrity or a U.S. senator or a CEO when you grow up? Four times as many middle school girls said we'd rather be a personal assistant to a celebrity than a U.S. senator or a CEO one day. Which shows us the shallowness of our culture that we worship celebrity. Some of you may recognize this girl on the slide here too. This is Selena Gomez, right? Selena has the most Instagram followers of anyone in the world. 104 million people follow Selena and what she posts on Instagram. Probably 105 after I say this. I looked at the last 12 posts that she's posted. Eight of the 12 were selfies with her phone. Just, just, just flashing at herself, looking at herself. This shows that we live in a narcissistic culture, a shallow, superficial culture that really enjoys and is entertained by looking at ourselves in the mirror. Do you know in 2016 in the United States, the most popular word Googled, according to Google, was the word, are you ready for this? Most popular word searched for, Powerball. (laughs) Powerball. There's 44 states that belong to the Powerball Lottery Association. And a couple times in 2016, the pot got really big, like in the hundreds of millions. And the most searched term was the word Powerball, which shows in a shallow culture, we are obsessed only with celebrity and narcissism, but getting rich and getting rich quickly without any hard work. There's a book here on the screen as well. Uh, The average reading level here in the United States is 8th grade reading level. And there was a recent survey of college students who were graduating. And they were asked the question, how likely are you to read a book in your lifetime after college? 50% said not likely at all. Although I wonder when that survey was given, because I know after finishing finals as a senior in college, I probably would have said the same thing, right? But we live in a supernatural, a superficial, shallow culture. I could give you a lot more examples, but I also, though, don't want you to think that I'm some old guy up here who's like, well, we don't have it like we've had back in the day when everyone was smart and deep, because that's just not the case. Every culture since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 has lived in superficiality and shallowness. Let me show you that very point. Turn from Romans 15 and go backwards in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 11. It's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament as we continue our series, The Chronicles of the Kings. 2 Kings, not first, 2 Chapter 11. And there's no shame in just flipping through your Bible until you find it. (laughs) We are about grace here as we just sung. Let me read for you uh, 2 Kings chapter 11. Just the first three verses, okay? This is what it says. 2 Kings 11 verse 1. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring. 
But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So they hid from Athaliah, and he was not put to death. And so he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord six years, while Athaliah was reigning over the land. Let me give you a little background here, because we're going to mention like several names that start with J. You're probably going to hear me pronounce these names 12 different ways, uh, so have some grace on me on this. But let me kind of give you a little background of what's happening here in 2 Kings 11. So there was this guy named Jehoram. He was king of the southern kingdom. Not to be confused with the Jehoram that was king of the northern kingdom a little bit before this. So there's a guy named Jehoram. He married Athelia. Athelia was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of Jezebel before. She's kind of notorious in the Bible. Ahab and Jezebel in the northern kingdom gave the prophet Elijah all kinds of problems. Ahab married Jezebel for political reasons, and she drew Ahab away from the one true God to worship the gods of Baal. They did all kinds of horrific things in the northern kingdom. Then down in the southern kingdom, Jehoram ends up marrying Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athelia. Are you with me so far? All right, this is like a soap opera here. Next we have their son, Ahaziah. And they also had a daughter named Jehosheba. Jehosheba in the Bible is not referenced with Athelia. So she probably was the daughter from a different wife of Jehoram. Jehoram's the king. Here's a couple of his kids. Let's expand it. So Ahaziah gets married. We don't know his wife's name. He has several kids, but his youngest kid is Joash. And then you can see that their daughter, Jehosheba, married Jehodiah. Now this was God's grace. Because Jehodiah was the priest in Jerusalem. He was the pastor. He was a godly man from all accounts. And so this family that had no godly roots to it, no practicing of worship of the one true God, now has one of the daughters marry a follower of Yahweh. Jehosheba and Jehodiah, they have a couple kids. One's named Zechariah, other kids as well. All right, now let's expand a little bit more of the story. So Jehoram dies. Being a king during this time was not something you necessarily wanted to be. Because although you got a lot of power and fame, your average life expectancy was about 18 months. <laughs> so Jehoram dies. His son becomes king. But Athelia, his mother, is really pulling the purse strings behind the scenes. She's the helicopter mom, if you'll so to speak. So they have this rule going on. And then Ahaziah tragically dies after only a couple years of being a leader. His mom, and I see here on the screen I've put wicked queen, she now takes over the kingdom, the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom has their own issues we'll talk about later. But the southern kingdom, she's now in charge. Now listen to this if you're a grandma. Athelia decides, hey, to protect my leadership, I'm going to kill all my grandkids. That way none of them can have a right to the throne. Can you imagine? Like she wasn't getting any coffee mugs or aprons that said world's greatest grandmother on them. So she decides to kill her grandkids. But there's a miracle in the process. 
is Jehosheba, married to this godly guy named Jehodiah, decide to rescue, to put their own lives at stake, to rescue Joash. They become, in a sense, a safe family for Joash. They hide him. He's about less than one year old. They hide him in the temple because they figure the one place that Athelia never goes, God's house. <laughs> so they hide him in there for six years. Jehodiah becomes, in a sense, it's his uncle, but it's really his dad. And Jehosheba serves as a mother to Joash. This is a miracle for so many reasons, but let me tell you one that's not necessarily obvious when you just read the story, is that God had promised David that his throne would reign forever. And there's a bigger story there, and that is that David would be in the line of the king, the ultimate king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So Athelia, when she goes to kill all of Ahaziah's kids, the entire promise to David is at risk. It's threatened. If she succeeds in killing all his kids, then God's promise to David isn't true. And she almost succeeds, except for Joash, who she doesn't know is alive. And so God, in his grace, preserves his promise to David through one little boy and the act of a safe family. So Joash is about seven years old, and his, his uncle slash safe family dad, Jehodia, decides now is the time to lift up this seven-year-old to be the leader of our nation, which shows you how bad Athelia was if he's willing to say a seven-year-old's better than this woman. <laughs> and so he forms an alliance in the kingdom. He gets enough people on board, and he presents Joash. No one knew he was alive. He presents him on the throne. Athelia freaks out. She ends up getting captured, thrown off of a wall, and gets eaten by dogs. It's a true story. I'm not making this up. This is why you never heard this story in Sunday school. <laughs> Mommy, the teacher told this story about this woman getting eaten by dogs. And... So Joash now becomes, at seven years old, the leader of his people. Just God's grace. It's an incredible story. One of the things I want you to see comes from 2 Kings chapter 12. So if you're in verse 11, pull your finger down to chapter 12 and look simply at verse 2. 2 Kings, I think I meant to say. Chapter 12, verse 2. It says this. Joash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days, in which Jehodiah the priest instructed him. Some of you, your coffee is worn off or you're kind of thinking of other things. So let me read this again because you really need to get this verse, okay? Listen to it again. 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 2. Joash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehodiah the priest instructed him. One of the things I want you to see from Joash's story is that in a shallow world, godly mentors matter. Godly mentorship matters in this world of shallowness. This is shown in the story of Joash. Joash is taken under the wings of Jehodia, his safe family dad, uncle. And Jehodia, being a godly man, instructs Joash of how to live for God. 
You see, Joash had no one else to look to. His father did not follow God. His grandfather surely did not follow God. Maybe his great-grandfather Jehoshaphat did, but he would have never have met him. So Joash was on his own. He didn't know what it looked like to know the one true God and to live for him. And here's Jehodia, from a little baby to a boy king. And for the next 40 years, Jehodia mentored Joash. He cared for him. He instructed him in the ways of the Lord. He was an example to him. Godly mentorship matters in this shallow world. Look at verse 4 of 2 Kings chapter 12. It says, Then Joash said to the priest, All the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord, and current money, both the money of each man's assessment and all the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it from themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house whenever any damage may be found. So God's house, the place where people would come to worship in the southern kingdom, is in Jerusalem. And this place is beyond repair. Ahaziah, Jehoram, they did not care for the house of worship of God, the temple. They let it be destroyed. They let other kingdoms come in and take what they wanted as peace offerings. This place was in bad disrepair. And Joash, being mentored by a godly man, says, that needs to change. I want to follow the one true God. And we're going to start by rebuilding the temple. And then he exercises something that was originally given to Moses. That each family, each person is to generously give towards God's place of worship. And so Joash says, from now on, everyone will give. They'll give an offering, a tithe, to rebuild God's house. We keep reading here in verse 6. But it came about in the 23rd year of King Joash. So no, he's now longer a boy, he's a man. And the priest had not yet repaired the damages of the house. And so listen to this. Joash actually, in this situation, is more mature than his mentor, his godly mentor. Look what happens, verse 7. Then King Joash called for Jehoda the priest and for the other priests and said to them, Why do you not repair the damages of the house? Now therefore take no money from your acquaintances, but pay it for the damages of the house. So the priests agreed they would take no more money from the people nor repair the damages of the house. But Jehodiah the priest took a chest and bored a hole in its lid and put it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who guarded the threshold put all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. I'll stop right there, but you can keep reading on your own later on. So even Jehodiah was a little lazy in rebuilding the temple, and Joash comes to him. He's about 30 years old at this time, leading the southern kingdom. And he says, guys, you need to, I'm serious. You need to rebuild this place. This is the place that we worship God. Let's really do this. And Jeho- Jehodiah kind of wakes up from his laziness and instructs the other leaders that they need to get going on this. And so the temple is, in fact, rebuilt. Just even a little side note too, healthy communities are generous financially. And here we see a community that was unhealthy, not giving to the church, waking up from their slumber and called to give what God had already placed on their hearts to do. And they obey. And so Joash is instrumental in this. Jehodia, his mentor, helps him along, even at times catches up to Joash. 
Godly mentorship matters in this shallow world. Will you turn to the person next to you or behind you? Who was someone in your journey with God who has helped you, has been a mentor to you? If you're not a Christian, who is someone that's even helping you now, just kind of in your journey of asking questions? But we turn to someone just for like 30 seconds. Who is someone in your life, could have been a long time ago, could be today, who is encouraging you in your spiritual journey? Go. All right, 10 seconds. Okay, do this. Just shout out that name that you just shared. Just shout out one, two, three. That's cool. (laughs) I didn't hear any of them, but it's great. (laughs) You guys, godly mentors matter. And they're so needed. Not only for a guy like Joash at age seven, but for each of us. Here at Calvary in our community, I want you to be reminded that number one, we need mentors. We need people that will look at our students and say, you are worth investing in. You are worth being an example for. I'm not perfect, but I want to pour into you. And no matter our age, we need people who will mentor us, who will say, hey, you may be the next step ahead of me in my spiritual journey. Come alongside me. I have questions for you. A couple guys in my life who have been incredible. One is Jeff Biddle. Many of you know Jeff. I was an intern for Jeff starting in 1999. Jeff showed me his life. He lived his life in front of me. He helped me understand just how as pastors we have to be people of God before we're workers for God. Jeff's had a huge influence in my life. Fred Morris is a name that some of you know as well. Fred was a pastor here for many, many years. Monthly, Fred calls me to this day. And he goes, Matt Doan, it's time for us to have lunch. <laughs> so I go over to his house. He lives right across from Cabrillo Park. He makes me a salad every time, which I don't know what that means. but um, <laughs> And he just listens to me and prays for me and gives me words of wisdom. Who's mentoring you? Who do you need to pursue to mentor you? Who are you mentoring in a shallow world? Godly mentoring matters. But then we keep the story of Joash going. It's really told in two different books. And maybe you've caught this already in our study. But First and Second Kings are paralleled by First and Second Chronicles. And so let's finish jo- Joash's story by going to Second Chronicles verse 20, chapter 24. So from Second Kings, go past First Chronicles, skip the stories of Solomon. And go all the way to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. 
And look with me beginning in verse 15. Second Chronicles 24, verse 15. So Joash has now reigned for almost 40 years. So he's probably about 47 years old. And we read what happens next. Second Chronicles 24, 15. Now when Jehodiah reached a ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. So Jehodiah receives this huge honor of being buried with the leaders, the previous leaders of the southern kingdom. Look at verse 17 though. This this is a decidedly downturn in the story of Joash. Verse 17 of 2 Chronicles 24. But after the death of Jehodiah, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. And then just read the next sentence of verse 18. They abandoned the house of their Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. What happened? Here's Joash under the godly mentorship in a shallow world of Jehodiah. Jehodiah dies at 130. So he poured into Joash for 40 years. 47 years basically, his entire life. And then Jehodiah dies. And the first thing that Joash does is he listens to the wolves who are just waiting for the mentor to go away. And they creep into the kingdom. And they start whispering to Joash and saying, hey... Now you have freedom from this guy that was holding you down. Now it's time for you to be a leader. Make your own decisions. And sadly, King Joash listens and he walks away from God. Ironically, this, those couple verses have been ministering to me this week. And let me explain this to us. I had the honor to be one of our high school pastors here for several years in the early 2000s. We had several students go through our program. And I run into students from Calvary all over Orange County. Wherever we go, I run into students that were part of our youth group in the early 2000s. I have to just kind of reveal to you that often those are painful reunions. Because as I run into students who are now 25, 30, (laughs) 33, I can tell usually in a few minutes that they're not walking with Christ. Now, don't be fearful if I run into you somewhere. I'm going to judge you for where you're at. But you know when you run into someone and you start talking to them and they start sharing about their life and you just get this sense like you're no longer walking with God. And I feel a lot of guilt for that. I don't know if you're like me, but guilt runs a lot of my life. <laughs> That's why grace is so beautiful for me. Because it's the antidote for guilt. And I run into these students and I see they're not walking with Jesus. And I begin to feel guilty thinking, oh, if I only would have preached better sermons back when they were 15 at El Medina High School. If I only would have spent less time trying to make them laugh and, and more time really deeply investing in them. Then maybe they'd be walking with God now that they're 28. And these verses have kind of encouraged me in the way that here's Jehodiah pouring in for 40 plus years to Joash 
and ultimately Joash walks away. Was that Jehodiah's fault? No. Jehodiah wasn't perfect, but he invested in this guy. But ultimately Joash had to own his faith. He had to make it his own. He couldn't rest on his mentor's faith. And I've had a little guilt even this week begin to kind of come off my shoulders. Now that doesn't mean I'm not burdened by the kids who are now adults who aren't walking with Jesus. But it's helped put some perspective in my life of, okay, I'm not called to be a savior. Some of you have your own kids who aren't walking with God. And I know that's the most painful thing. When you have an adult kid or a high schooler who you know doesn't love Jesus. There's nothing harder than that. I want to relieve you of some guilt, though, in that. Yes, there's things you could have done differently, I'm sure. Were you a hypocrite at times in your pairing of them as a Christian? Probably. Probably more than you'd like to admit. But you can't be anyone's savior, including your own kids. Will you always have a burden for them? Yes. Will they be a ministry till the day that God calls you home? Yes. But don't hold on to guilt that's not meant for you. That's something that God has just released me from this week. And I I ask that he could even release you from in his grace this week. Have a burden for people that you're mentoring and love and raising. But don't hold on to things that aren't necessary. So here's Joash. He walks away from God. He listens to these ungodly influences. But God has grace on him even then. Look at verse 18, 19 of 2 Chronicles 24. 1 Chronicles 24, 19 says, Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. So they, so they testified against them, but then they would not listen. God had grace saying, Joash, come back. God sent people to proclaim the truth to Joash, but it said he wouldn't listen. But God still had grace on this guy, Joash. Look at verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehodiah. Zechariah was basically Joash's stepbrother. They were in a family together because Joash was basically adopted by Jehodiah. And now here's Zechariah who he grew up with. And God puts his spirit in Zechariah to go tell Joash, turn back to God. I can't think of anyone more perfect to speak to Joash. Says, he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him at the command of the king, Joash. They stoned Zechariah to death in the court of the house of the Lord. So Joash has his own brother, in a sense, killed. And do you see where he's killed? In God's house. In the genealogy of Matthew, Matthew lists several of the people in the line of Jesus. He omits Joash. Because Joash in a shallow world was exposed for having a shallow faith. It was borrowed from his mentor. It it wasn't his own. A couple weeks ago here in Costa Mesa, I saw this photo of a tree. It was January 20. Remember when the winds were super crazy a couple Fridays ago? 
This big old tree in Costa Mesa just fell down. Its withered roots were exposed. It had a shallow root system, and it took a good windstorm to knock it over. How many people that think that they're, oh, I'll never walk away from God, that their faith is shallow. There's no root system there. This is a beautiful car. This is an AMC gremlin. Before I tell this story, I have to tell you that this is true because I actually called my buddy Morgan this week who lives in San Diego. And I just wanted to call him and said, hey, I need to verify the details of this story so I don't embellish anything when I tell this story on Sunday. And he confirmed that this is true. I'll give you his phone number if you want to call him. But when we were in eighth grade, somehow my friend Morgan Burdick was given a gremlin. He's 13 years old. Ah, it's a little hazy on the details of how he got it. But he got this gremlin, and we started driving it. <laughs> Eighth grade, Northern California. You know, there's nobody in Northern California, so you can do stuff like this. We found this abandoned lot behind a school, and it was perfect because it had gravel and dirt. And so we got in that AMC gremlin, and we just started doing donuts all around. Morgan's driving. He's 13. I'm in the, dri- in the, in the passenger seat. And you know when you laugh so hard that you actually lose your breath? Like... <laughs> We were just having so much fun. At 13, you have no concept of anything that could happen to you. Uh, There's no airbags in the AMC Gremlin. We could have died. We're just doing donut after donut in this back school parking lot. 13 years old, having so much fun. A couple days later, Morgan was with some other friends, and they were actually driving on public streets. 13 years old in a Gremlin. (laughs) And the car died. It just didn't start anymore. In fact, um, he didn't even have a key for it. It just would just move the ignition and it would start. And the car died and he couldn't get it to start. And so you know what Morgan did? He and the guys that were with him just left it. They just walked away from it. They're like, mm, it doesn't work anymore. I guess we'll just leave it. And to this day, we have no idea what happened to the gremlin. It just like disappeared from that point. But I was thinking of faith and I was thinking of ownership and and roots and shallowness. And I thought that's a lot like a lot of people's faith. They have no ownership of it. And when it stops working for them, they walk away. May that not be the case with any of us. May we have deep, deep roots in Jesus Christ that go beyond the superficiality and shallowness of our lives. Luke chapter 8 is beautiful. You can turn there. You can just listen to this part. Luke chapter 8. This is Jesus talking. He tells a parable like he often would. He says this. It's called the parable of the sower. When a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him. I'm in Luke 8, 4. He spoke away of a parable. He said, The sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said, This is Jesus speaking. He would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is in the parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The sea is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So they'll not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time, in time of temptation, fall away. Verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard and they go on their way and are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And then verse 15. This is where I pray that we can be at. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. In a shallow world, deep faith is required. Pull out your sermon notes if you don't have them in front of you. They came in the little booklet bulletin that you had. At the bottom front page, there's just a table of deep faith versus Shallow faith. Deep faith is when you personally trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of your life. Shallow faith is when you have secondhand faith, you borrow it from someone else. Deep faith is when you display a thirst and desire to read and know, and then most importantly, obey God's word. Shallow faith looks like you never learn to feed yourself. You just wait for the latest sermon or podcast. Deep faith is you're focused on, and get this, this is important, you focus on pleasing God more than anything else or anyone else. Shallow faith is an obsession with pleasing other people. As we consider how we should respond, first, place your faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to have deep faith is to actually be a follower of Jesus. Being a Christian doesn't mean you just modify your behavior or show up to Calvary two and a half times a month. Being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, means you place your faith that Jesus is your Savior. He's the Lord, the leader of your life. Make today, if you've never done this, the day that you say, I am a follower of Christ. There's a booklet in the seat in front of you that even can help you with that. Maybe you just need to take a next step and become a member here at Calvary. And say, I'm going to commit to this place. I want to grow in God's word and, and not be fed by someone else, but actually work on learning how to learn and digest it myself and then obey what I'm reading and, and learning. Another step you could take is ask to be mentored by someone. In the lobby today, we're going to have a sign that as you walk out will be on my right-hand side right now in the back. There will be some people there that would love just to say hi to you and help you connect with a mentor who would help you grow deep roots in your faith. And we're always in need of mentors as well. Maybe that's something that God's calling you to today. We're going to respond with worship through music. And we have the stations up here. You can take the bread and the juice. And remember that Jesus paid the price for our sins once and for all. There's also a place to give at the stations. There's buckets there to give financially. But I'd like to lead us in 
what I would call a better together prayer. And the first part of this prayer will be this. If you have someone you love in your life who, like King Joash, displayed some early signs of following Christ, but where they stand today, they're not walking with God. I would love for you to stand, not to point you out or not even to say their names, but we just want to pray for you. Pray that you wouldn't feel a burden that you're not meant to lift or to carry, but also pray that you could be an influence in that person's life. So if you could just boldly stand right now, if you have someone that you love who is not walking with God, we'd love just to pray with you for a moment on that. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every single story that's represented in those of us that stand. Lord, part of that story involves pain. Pain from either feeling rejected at church or by a Christian, feeling judged. God, I pray that those that we love that have walked away from you would, rather than feel judgment, feel grace. God, use each of us to be an instrument of grace in their lives. And I pray, God, for each of us here that we wouldn't carry a burden of guilt that you've not carried us, that not asked us to carry. But instead, Lord, we would point others to you, the ultimate Savior. If you would keep standing for a moment, and now what I'd like to do is invite those that are under the age of 18 if you are under the age of 18, can you just stand? I promise I won't do anything weird. <laughs> just stand if you're under 18. And if you are standing, you're under 18, those that were standing before, can I invite you just to come around those that are standing that are under 18? Just for a minute, just come around them. Just, just come near them. Just, you can just kind of say, hey, I'm right behind you. I'm here. If you're under 18 and those that are standing, can you just go around those that are... And let me just lead us in a prayer that our kids here at Calvary Church, as they're growing in their faith, will have nothing that will snatch them away from walking with Jesus. So those that are around, will you join me? Let's just pray for our kids. Heavenly Father, we pray for every child, teen that's standing right now. Lord, those of us adults in the room who stood previously, we know the pain of what it looks like to walk away from you. God, I pray that no one in this room would ever walk away from you. But you'd help them, Lord, by the power of your spirit and your word to grow deep roots of faith, no matter what comes their way. Thank you, God, for our student ministries and, and those that are pouring into our students and kids. Encourage them and equip them every step of the way. We pray this in Christ's name.